Welcome to the First Right Podcast, a weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration Pack. I'm Doug Truax, founder and president of Restoration Pack. Today, we're very excited to explore the fascinating and perplexing topic of polling. And to discuss that, we have one of the most intriguing experts in America, Robert Cahaley. Mr. Cahaley is chief pollster for the Trafalgar Group, which shocked the political world in 2016 by calling Pennsylvania and Michigan for Trump when nobody else did. They continued their success in 2018 when they called other races that nobody saw coming, including Ron DeSantis over Andrew Gillum in the Florida governor's race. So Robert, welcome to the First Right Podcast. Super happy you're here. Good to be here. So if you wouldn't mind, just give us the background, uh, give us the bio, you know, how you came up in the space and, uh, and, and what that looks like for you today. Well, you know, we didn't start by doing polling. That, that was, I was just a regular political consultant. And, and I realized in about, I think it was 20, 2008, I just, I wasn't happy with any of the polling out there. Uh, it, it really didn't seem to work very well. Uh, and so I said, well, you know, maybe we can do this better. And we started kind of building our own system. We, 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 we took some key principles, which is long questionnaires uh, mean that you get people who care too much. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but my phone rings at seven o'clock at night and somebody says they want to take a poll. The first question anybody's going to say is, how long would this take? Yeah. And then if they say, well, it's just like 15 minutes, it's 35, you're like, okay, goodbye. And so you got to wonder about the people who hang on and answer 35 questions. Who are they? Uh, I think they care too much about politics. I think they care too much about issues. And that's scary because, you know, we live in a country where swing voters, you know, they kind of move back and forth. They, they can't stick with, stick with a particular brand of breakfast cereal. So the idea that you're going to measure people who are on the go, who live like that, with these long questionnaires is ridiculous. So that was one of our fundamentals. Uh, and then how you deal with people, that you make them comfortable. Uh, you, you don't let them feel like they're going to be judged for their answers. Uh, obviously, when more technology allowed us to use the uh, push-button telephone and then moved into text, and now we have a great mix. We mix live calls and automated calls and text messages and emails and so many methods that let us hit a broad spectrum of people and, and keep us from doing the fundamental mistakes is so often in polling where they undersample young people, undersample minorities, because, you know, this, the old fashioned polling that people are just sitting around and answering their home line at nine o'clock is just, you know, seven o'clock. It just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, that's a great observation. And obviously you were definitely onto something when you had that thought. I, I, uh, it's funny you talk that way about uh, people that were, uh, you know, too excited to take the call. I think about my own wife back in the day. She doesn't get any calls anymore because I think, you know, the, the, too many of these uh, polling firms found out that we're, you know, conservatives. But she'd be on the phone. I'm like, who are you talking to? And she'd, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a poll. And it's going on for 20, 25 minutes. And then the first time I heard you say that, I thought, that's exactly right. You know, you're not going to get people that are, uh, you know, that you want to get the poll conducted by, you know, get, get the right sample size because you're just focused on these folks that are going to take all this time on these odd hours and everything. And I saw it happen in my own household. So, so a uh, good call on that. And I, the other thing I was going to mention right out of the gate too, is I saw, uh, you were being interviewed and, and you said, Hey, uh, you know, I'm going to be really wrong and nobody's going to talk to me or I'm going to be really right here pretty soon. And, and, uh, and good job for calling that, that last, uh, that last round of elections. So, 
you've covered the kind of the traditional polling uh, and how you guys do it differently. So let's kind of jump right to it. One of the things that I wanted to uh, get your thoughts on right out of the gate here is this, uh, you know, we, we've got the, the canceling of the Big Ten college football season. So uh, let's jump to that real quick. I uh, just want to get that, get your thoughts on that. How do you think that's going to play out uh, in some key states? Well, I think that the, the football is, is a manifestation of what's happening now. And one of the things that's happening now is, you know, we have this, how are you, how are you or your family going to deal with coronavirus? And we had this, this answer that was, I'm going to do what I can to keep my family safe, but I won't live in fear. Well, that number was in the 30s a few weeks ago. And last week it passed 47. And now it's in the 50s. And there's this feeling of, you know, we're Americans. And Americans are not just going to sit back. You know, we're the, we're the people that people found out what was going on on the planes of 9-11 by the fourth plane and what they knew was going to happen, they stood up and fought. And that's what we do. And so this idea of sitting back and waiting for, waiting for some kind of a cure, waiting for some kind of a vaccine and sitting in your house and, you know, the sky's falling, that number of people who feel that way is getting smaller and smaller every day. And what we're now seeing is people who want to get out there and fight this. They're going to do what they can to be safe, but they're going to live life. They're going to get back to normal because right now we've been, you know, up till now there's been a lot of fighting of the virus and a lot of that helped hurt our economy. And I think football is part of that. It's part of that getting back to normal. It's doing what you can to be safe, but not being captive of your own home and, and not being ruled by fear. Uh, you know, one of the lines we've We've got a lot of success on when people say that, you know, I'm going to fight the virus, not fear the virus. That's something we feel strongly about. So when you look at the contrast in these states, I mean, just the irony of looking at the Big Ten and you start going through all the schools and you're like, my gosh, you know, you got Pennsylvania, you got Ohio, you have Michigan, you've got, you know, you've got Minnesota. And then, I mean, even, you know, the one, the one delegate, the one seat in Nebraska is the college town where they're playing. So, I mean, this Big, Big Ten is basically the football conference of the swing state. And what, what's happened is whereas the SEC and ACC much more represent a lot of the folks that are in, you know, some of the more traditional Trump states, certainly the SEC. And then you have the Big 12, which is very much you know, Trump state. What's happening is these guys are looking there and they're thinking, wait, wait a minute. So, you know, the Ivy League on the East Coast and the West Coast, they're not playing ball. We have a lot less in common with them than we do with those guys down there. And it's bad now, but, you know, I, I, my, my brother's much more of a, a football aficionado. He tells me Ohio State was probably going to win the national championship this year. And, uh, and that the idea of how frustrated those fans must be, whether that's true or not, but think about it. Them sitting there on a Saturday, watching Alabama play, watching LSU, watching Clemson. I mean, that's going to drive them mad, and they're going to want somebody to blame. And so we we put these questions on some of our recent polls, and in Michigan was a great example. Uh, we we had right about 11 percent of the Michigan electorate was either unenthusiastic about the candidate they were supporting, or they said they're still undecided. So then we posed this question, you think there should be football? And we gave them a series of answers, two where they were against playing football and two where they were for it. And 65% of those who were undecided or unenthusiastic about their candidate said they wanted football. And then when you went further down, 
asking those people if you knew Donald Trump had been in favor of football and had stood against this decision, would that make you more or less likely to vote for him? And the number of overwhelming, the ones who wanted football were more likely to vote for him. And I think that you're going to find this around the country. Uh, it, it's a little bit less effective in Wisconsin, but even in Wisconsin, it was 55%. Now, you know, I'm not throwing shade on Wisconsin football fans or anything like that, but I knew those people in Michigan are pretty rabid about their football. So I get it. But I think that, it, you know, anything can move an election this close. And anyone who tells you it isn't close is, is crazy. Yeah. Uh, one of the things yeah. we've done is we've, we know there are shy Trump voters. We identified them four years ago. The, the polling establishment that will tell you that, oh, no, no, the polls were right. People changed their mind at the last minute. Well, that's just a bunch of bull. That is not what happened. Uh, there was a hidden Trump vote. It showed up. They were called deplorables. And, you know, people just felt a lot of pressure not, you know, not to come out and say they're for Trump. Well, deplorables is the nicest thing people say about Trump supporters in 2020. Mm -hmm. So I believe that effect is bigger than it was last time. And, and just to put a finer point on that, do you think like last time you were thinking it would look like it was about a six point differential? Do you think it's going to be greater than that? I, I've been I've been saying that it is. I, I, what, what do you think in terms of uh, numbers, if you're willing to go that far? I, I'm willing to go. Well, first of all, I'm not. We didn't show it as a six point last time because it may have shocked the rest of the polling establishment. If you look at our polls, he was doing kind of what we thought he was going to do. In some right. places, he did a little better. Uh, and, and in our polls, we saw it to be, you know, we. But then again, we do a better job of identifying shy voters. So maybe I, maybe I should not, not say it wasn't six points. I think it can be what it was last time with about 25% more. So whatever that number was, and I think it varies by state. But, you know, somebody asked me, what does a shy, shy Trump voter look like? Who are they? And I always say, if they're the kind of person who can't wear a MAGA hat to work or to school because they would be get a bunch of grief, they're probably, a, you know, a shy Trump voter. They're the kind of person who lives in a neighborhood where a Trump sign in the yard would get their house toilet papered or get their neighbors mad at them. They're probably a shy Trump voter. If they drive in a town where their windshield could get broken or their key could get carded, the car could get eat, if they parked it, they're probably a shy Trump voter. And if you think about it, there's a lot of places like that in this country. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's so much going on. Um, you know, back to the football thing. I think that that's that's also with these folks that aren't going to tell you much about it. You're starting to get into areas where you're you know, you're really impacting their lives from their standpoint. You know, they wanted to watch football. Uh, you know, back in the day, it was a three weeks to flatten the curve. You know, I don't, that feels like an eternity ago. And so the longer this kind of stuff goes on, people, and, and, I, and I, you know, we won't, uh, we don't need to get into it now, um, but the school opening piece, I mean, anecdotally, I just see my kids are, you know, grown and I mean, I have a daughter, a daughter in college and it's impacting her, but these folks that have dual incomes and, or they just, they can't afford to have daycare or whatever else. And all of a sudden, well, we're not going to open the schools. And I think, too, there's probably this, hey, if you knew this candidate was in favor of getting the schools back open safely, would you be more willing to vote for them? So I think that there's an element of that, of, you know, again, back to really impacting people's lives. Um, and these polls you okay. see that show people don't want to go back to school, let's take out everybody out of that poll who their job isn't affected or their, their, the check they get every month isn't affected right. by weird people in school. And if you have people who actually have kids and not the people who are going to get a check regardless of what happens, it isn't even close. You're exactly right. 
people are ready to fight. We are Americans. People want to put on their big boy pants, wear their masks, wash their hands, mm -hmm. keep their distance, but get about the freedom and life that you get as an American. And the people who say, no, 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 cower in your house, hold on, don't do anything, you know, wait for some kind of a cure, you know, wait for some kind of a vaccine. I think those people are going to be looked at the people who are the problem and not the solution. Yeah, that's right. And I think the longer we go here and the more, even with the case count going up, but nobody talks about the death count, the death rate, which then because of the math now, the death rate's dropping all the time. And for younger people, it's nothing. It's zero. Uh, so, you know, that that plays into it. It's like over and over. It's like you're telling me to stay, you know, cower in my house or whatever you want me to do because you're pushing these numbers at me that really aren't that scary. So what are we worried about now? I think back in the day when it was it was like, oh, let's bend the uh, flatten the curve. There was this feeling of we don't know how deadly this thing is going to be. Now, it's certainly deadly for a certain population, the much older and the vulnerable and all that. But for the rest of us, like you say, we got to get back to doing what we're doing. So um, uh, another thing I want to talk about, too, is just the chaos, right? We got uh, there's a lot going on in this country and uh, the images that, uh, you know, a lot of the mainstream media don't want people to pay attention to. But uh, the rest of us are looking at um, of just the chaos in, in the streets and the major cities. Uh, so talk talk to that. What do you see happening there with, uh, with people's opinion of things? Well, it was interesting to watch the numbers. Um, Trump was, you know, Trump was doing very well. He had a great State of the Union after he beat the impeachment rap and his numbers were great. And then all of a sudden the virus stuff and it started to sink. And then a little bit after the virus, it came back up. And then when he had some of those longer press conferences and, you know, some of the, the media jumped on lines about, you know, drinking uh, cleaner and stuff like that, which I don't recall him actually saying, they started to dip again. And it wasn't going the right direction. And then all the, you know, all of a sudden that weekend, as I recall, right before the, the space launch was when the, the tragic thing happened to Mr. Floyd. And, you know, Trump had that point where he came out during that launch and, and, and talked about it, but it didn't get a lot of coverage because it was Saturday. So he was perceived as not worried about it enough and, and he took a little dip, but then the protests turned into riots. And then the riots turned into statues and turned into cancel culture and turned into defund the police and all of that and all of a sudden a campaign that needed something to be against other than just you know, the rigmarole of socialism had something because there was there was a real choice and it, it, it the first thing it did is it took so many you know they call them the uh suburban moms you know who, who maybe they don't like trump or something about his personality they don't like this they don't like that you know what we kept hearing is i don't like trump but I'm not for all that. You know, you, and when you see the rise in, the, in those, the first time gun buyers, I mean, you and I both know the first time that family says, hey, depending on the police might not be enough. They kind of go to that old, you know, old American defend yourself, what Limbaugh used to call the rugged individualism. When, when they move that direction, they're not coming back. Mm -hmm. When you bring that first gun in your home, you're not voting for anybody who's going to take it away. That's right. And so it started to happen. And though the media would, would, was attacking Trump and saying, well, no, look, uh, he's getting bad marks on how he's handled all this. Don't listen to what they say. Listen to what they do. They took it off the air, didn't they? They moved back to coronavirus. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
you couldn't get any more honesty than the, than the, what was the mayor of Portland saying you, the, you're creating video to get Trump reelected. I mean, it, it was it, it went too far. Yeah. I mean, but right after uh, the Fourth of July speech and the New York Times, I think the Thursday before that, started talking about how Mount Rushmore was offensive and and all this, and it just was like, wait a minute, what in the world's going on? They're tearing down statues of George Washington. They're attacking Columbus. They're attacking priests. They're even attacking a statue of Abraham Lincoln that former slaves built. I mean, this people start going, what is happening out there? I mean, who's against Mount Rushmore? I mean, like, you got to be the villains from Superman 2 to be against Mount Rushmore. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, and I thought the same thing. And and that is where the uh, this silent majority, whatever you want to call it, this Trump voter that's not going to identify themselves, there's just one thing after another that keeps piling up. I, I, I'm a super optimist. I think he's going to win. I'm looking for the electoral landslide like everybody else on our side. Uh, but I do think that all these things just keep – you know, we're past the straw that broke the camel's back, in my estimation. And then you got uh, Biden in his, in his basement and all these other things that are, I think, working against the Democrats as well. They should be because that's their guy and that's what they got to go with. So, you know, we'll see what happens. So are you, you know, we're, we're heavily invested in uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Any other states out there that you think are going to be surprises come uh, November 3rd? Well, I mean, I think I think the media is going to have a lot of surprises. It's going to yeah. be like Tweet 16 for them. They're going to have boxes everywhere opening up their surprises. But um, I, I think that when I look at it, what I see is first and foremost, let, let's just be clear, Georgia, Texas, they're not swing states. They're not in play. They never were. Right. Uh, those are those very sizable leads. We've polled both of them. It's not close. It's ridiculous. Uh, I think Trump will end up uh, winning Florida. We had Florida as a tie, but we always look at inside of that for what we think are some hidden Trump voters. We saw them. Uh, we've, we just finished in Arizona a couple weeks ago. Uh, Trump had a lead there, and I think that lead's probably going to grow. And I think, you know, if you look at the electoral, and it was funny, I was watching last night um, on Fox News a little bit before the Democrat Party convention started. They, they, they was, it was, Bill Hemmer was doing an incredible analysis, but he forgot one thing. He wasn't talking about Maine's second district. So when he put together the scenario that I think is the most likely of where we are right now, of a Wisconsin coming on board with Trump, Arizona, uh, you know, North Carolina, Ohio, Florida, Georgia, any of the other that they think are swing states, and put Michigan and uh, Minnesota and Pennsylvania back into the Biden column. That is a 270 victory. Now we know from last time you had two faithless electors, so 270 to 268 is not good enough. But that indeed, contrary to what was said last night on Fox News, because I do believe they forgot Maine second, uh, would be a victory. Now, I think that uh, you, any, either side, I have to agree with, maybe it was Jill Biden or maybe it was even Michelle Obama who said it. I think for all our sakes, I hope it is a sizable victory. Um, the winner needs to win because what the country doesn't need is the chaos that comes yeah. if we have yeah. yeah. At 2000 situation. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Uh, last question for you. So, what do you think? Uh, what do you think Trump needs to be saying going forward here to close it out? Uh, in your estimation, in these in these key states, uh, what, what's the messaging that's right on from your perspective? Well, the first thing is make sure you buy all kinds of TV ads during college football games, asking people from the Midwest where you're watching it. 
it's a shame you came back to the party. You know I was with you, and I wanted you to. It's the first thing I do. Second, talk about the fact that we that we're bright. This is a brave country. We take we take this fight on. That we are we you know when you think about the scenarios, everything from what well, was the guys on on, on the train, uh, the, the American soldiers, from the people uh, on the plane in 9/11. We don't sit back. We fight the guys who rushed into the trade centers that were fired. Like people in this country are brave. Tell them what to do. Trust them to do it. We will defend our liberty. We and we will defend our freedom and we will defend our safety. And just talk. I mean, appeal to the fact that people are ready to be as safe as they can, but they're ready to live their lives, and they want to. They're brave. And and comment. You know, remind them how brave they are and what a history of bravery this country has. And that everybody who goes to work and puts their big boy pants on and doesn't hide in the basement, those are the people that will continue to shape America. Yeah, amen to that. And I think that that's good leadership, reminding us who we are. You know, we've come a long way as Americans, and we got uh, we got a lot to do for our kids and grandkids. And now's the time to step up. So that's absolutely right. So. Well, hey, Robert, thanks so much for being on the show. Really great stuff. I'm sure we'll ask you back at some point in the future. You got, uh, you're got you doing some great work out there. Thanks for doing it. Hey, it's good to be here. And listen, we live in a world where there, it is not a meritocracy in polling. There's a lot of firms still in business. It shouldn't be, but we get paid to get it right. And that's exactly what we're going to try to do. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. All right, thanks, Robert. Well, all right, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and for supporting conservative media. Don't ever forget that working together and staying diligent, we conservatives can bring our country back to true greatness. So until next week, let's all keep praying that God will continue to bless America. First Right, a new kind of news summary without liberal slant. Every morning in your inbox, always free. Subscribe now at restorationofamerica.com slash first right or text first right to 1-312-820-9167.